Merry Christmas. I built my first fence this year. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a man now. So I had this system for how I wanted to build my fence so that it didn't look like someone who was building their first fence, right? So I had this little spacer block, which is like a two-by-four that would hang on the rail, and then I put the picket on it, and each picket would be exactly that distance from the picket next to him all the way down the line, right? Then I had this level that I would hang, I would like balance it on the blade on top of both to make sure that each picket were the same. And then once I had it just right, I'd like pin it up against the boards like that. And then I grab a nail. And I grab my hammer. Bing, bing, bing. And then the board would slip and then the level would fall off and I'd like re put it on and like grab the level and re level it. And then I'd pin it up against it and I'd get the thing on. And then I get the second nail on, and then I had it, because then I could just put the two at the bottom and move on to the next picket, right? Well, here I am, then all the way down the line, pick, pick, pick. And at some point, my wife had come out and was watching me do this. And husbands, you know, like when you can just feel your wife shaking her head at you? And I see two hands grab the picket from the other side of the fence and hold it tight against the rails, right? And y'all, I felt like there's a lot to be thankful for around Christmas. And I looked at it, and I'm just like, thank you. <laughs> there's a lot to be thankful for around Christmas. Um, I think it's appropriate, don't you, that Thanksgiving comes pretty close to Christmas? Because at Thanksgiving time, we recognize kind of more so the things that we have, like family and the house and food and all these things, and we're thankful for those things. And then Christmas comes, and we're still thankful for all those things, family and house and presents and other things like that. But then there's this element of Jesus thrown in. And so you can be thankful for Jesus and Thanksgiving, but Christmas, it's focused. And you have this um, thankfulness for your eternity, too. And so I started thinking about how empty my Thanksgiving would feel at our church uh, when I was growing up, right? So my mom was a VBS director at our church uh, when I was growing up here in Lincoln. And my mom loves VBS, right? She loves the kids, and she loves writing the curriculum, and she loves most of the leaders, the volunteers. <laughs> um, but y'all who do VBS, especially the, the directors know, VBS is a lot of work, right? And people would ask her the weeks following, Sharon, how was VBS? And she'd be like, oh, VBS was great. You know, all these things happened. These kids did this. And she goes, and I'm one VBS closer to death. <laughs> She's just like, eventually, there's going to run out of VBSs, and I'm going to die, and I'm not going to have to do it anymore. So um, if we had no Christmas, no eternal security, um, if we never had a chance to celebrate Jesus because Jesus is, did not come, um, holidays to me, and birthdays especially, would just feel like markers closer to death. Um, we're going to read through Psalms 107, and we're not going to have it on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. And when we're reading part of Psalms 107... I want you to go in with the understanding of the human situation, okay? The situation in which we have found ourselves. But I also want you to go in with the understanding of Jesus' role in relation to that, okay? Now, before we read, for those of you who don't know who Jesus is, I want to tell tell you about him. Um, This Christmas season, if you've been here the last uh, few Sundays, we've been talking through a memory verse, Isaiah 9-6. In Isaiah 9-6, we see different roles of who Jesus is going to be while he's here on earth. 
the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You may be familiar with that from the Bible, even if you haven't been here the last few Sundays, or you may have heard Handel's Messiah, which you've heard in that song. Um, Still another role we are familiar with, right? Earlier in Isaiah 7, it's prophesied that Jesus, that there's going to be a virgin who will be with child, and she will give birth, and she will call his name Emmanuel, right? Now, his name is not Emmanuel, his name is Jesus. But Emmanuel is, again, another role that Jesus was going to have, is another person of who he was going to be. Um, Okay, so Emmanuel means God with us, right? So why is God with us? Right? That's the question. And God is with us because you and I have broke the law. God has set a moral law down, and we have broken it, and we have earned the death sentence. Okay? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Now, wages is usually a good thing, right? You go to work, you earn your wages, you come home, you spend your money. But like earning wages, you earn death through sin. So Jesus came to provide a different option. We can either choose death or we can choose life. (laughs) Jesus said that in the Bible that he is the way and the truth and the life. That is why we know we have that option. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why not? Why can't we go to the Father except through Jesus? Because a perfect and a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. He won't do it. We walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. You remember Adam and Eve? They sinned and got kicked out because God won't be in the presence of sin. The only way to enter God's presence again is if you are perfect. And you might say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, of course you're not. You have to be made perfect and holy again. So Jesus, God, became man, lived a perfect life himself, and took the wages of our penalty on himself and died. And then on the third day, he resurrected from the dead, defeating death. So if you broke a law and you went to court, and the judge said, well, it looks like here you have a bunch of tickets and fines, and oh, but somebody came in and paid those, so you're free to go. The judge could do that, could he not? He could legally let you, legally let you leave, right? In fact, he would have the responsibility to do so. Jesus has done this. He has paid the fine for our sin that we would be legally pardoned. Okay? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that can be you tonight. And so I want to read through Psalms 107. And again, go in with the understanding of the hopeless state of man in which we have found ourselves and then Jesus' role in relation to that because we know that Jesus has many roles. Psalms 107, verses 1 through 22. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered into desert wastelands, finding no way to a city which they could settle. They were hungry, they were thirsty, their lives ebbed away, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness. Prisoners suffered in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commandments and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought, out, he brought them out of the darkness from the utter darkness and broke away their chains. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. And some became fools. Through their rebellious ways he suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. All of these different types of people found themselves in different kinds of trouble. They cried out to the Lord, and he saved them in their distress. This is the situation that we found ourselves in, and this is the role that Jesus has to provide us from another option. If I asked you, why is it that you say thank you? Okay, what's going through your head when you say thank you to somebody? The first answer people say usually is, well, I feel grateful. That's why I said thank you. That's good, right? That's a hard answer. You felt something. Great. The second answer is usually, well, it's polite. And that's true. It's, you know, it's colloquial. It's, it's something that we do. It's good habit. In fact, it's pleasant to be around people that use thank you regularly. Um, maybe, for example, you, use a, you get a present that you don't really like, and you say thank you because someone got you a picture frame for your wedding, and you're like, this isn't going to match anything in my house, Right? Um, I want to share with you six reasons to give thanks based on this verse. There's not reasons for things that you have, but there are reasons for situations that you're in that you feel thankful. Number one, recognizing generosity for someone. When someone is generous to you, gives you more than you expect, you say thank you. Generous is enduring love forever, right? In this verse, we are given a partial definition of what Reason number one, that God is good, and part of that definition is that his love endures forever. Reason number two, something that you couldn't give yourself is given to you, right? That'd make you thankful. In verses four through five, it says, some wandered in the desert wastelands, finding no way to the city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. My wife offered me her hands on the fence, something I couldn't offer myself, and I said, thank you. I mean, I, I didn't need help, but I needed help, right? Number three, you're thankful when you have gratefulness since you didn't deserve something. In verse 11, it said, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. It may be hard to think of an example in your own life specifically at this moment, but have you ever treated someone badly and instead of them treating you badly in return, instead they were the bigger person? Or maybe as a child you disobeyed your parents and your parents had grace on you. They didn't yell at you like they should have yelled at you. They didn't punish you like they should have punished you. And instead of making things worse, you just kind of sulk away You don't even say thank you. It's hard to say thank you in that situation, right? Because you feel embarrassed and you feel small. You kind of have your tail tucked for a sense. Um, But maybe over time you're able to build rapport and courage with that person enough to go and say thank you to them later. But even though you don't say thank you to them in the moment, you still feel it, don't you? 
Number four, receiving help in a time of trouble. Of course, this is always something to say thank you for. Remember in verse 11, they said, what did the people do wrong? They rebelled against God's commands, and they despised the plans of God. So what does God do? He subjects them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Well, couldn't God have just not subjected them to bitter labor? Then they wouldn't have needed his help, right? But then he would be letting them get away with what they were doing, rebelling against God's commands and despising the plans of the Most High. Something that's asked me a lot, student ministry, out in life, even from Christians, they say, what is a loving God, if the loving God exists, how could he let bad things happen? It's a fair question, right? Our world is broken. It's cursed. It's cursed by the sin that we've brought in by our own hand. Now, from what I know of the human heart, from my best study of the scripture throughout my entire life, is that the heart is nothing but sinful and prideful and selfish, okay? Only good things coming from God would not lead you to crying out to God for deliverance. Only good things coming from God would not prove God to you, even though you think it would, okay? It would just give us a reason to ignore him further, all right? Instead, I suggest that it would cause a downward spiral in your own hubris and in your own pride, it, I would suggest that it would end up you worshiping yourself for your own prosperity. Whenever we get something in life, our tendency is to say, you know what? I worked hard for that. I earned that. I deserve this. Okay? Even when you go to the store, it's like you find a deal on the shelf. You're just walking by and you find the deal and you're like, I love that thing. I'm going to buy one. And then you come back and you'd be like, I was the best shopper ever. I'm such a good shopper. I found that deal. You weren't even looking for it. I mean, you wouldn't even give credit to God for that. I mean, <laughs> come on. We don't, when good things happen to us, our, our first instinct is not to thank God. It's to say, look what I did. And some of you might, and some of you might find a deal and say, oh, thank God I found this today. I, was not, I wasn't even going to come here. That's great. But guess what? That's a trained action. You've got to train your heart to do that. It doesn't do that by itself. Hardships from God, or God allowing hardships in our life, is one of the greatest gifts in life because it literally saves us from ourselves. And so, to his heartache, God allows trouble and toil because it turns us back to him. We call out to God, and he saves us from our distress. The number five reason, receiving wisdom in our foolishness now, sometimes wisdom is not well received in your foolishness, as you must know. In verse 17 and 18, it says, Some become fools to their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Have you ever cried out to God because you felt like you were foolish? That's, that's another level of self-awareness, I think. I think when you're a fool, you don't know it, right? Or maybe God sends somebody in your path to tell you that you're being a fool, and then you realize it, right? That's usually what happens. This is something, but have you ever had a sin in your life that just drags on and on, and eventually you start justifying it? This is something that we do as a self-defense measure. It's called normalizing behavior. You might say things like, oh, everybody else does it. 
Or you might say, I've been doing this for so long, it doesn't really affect me. Or if it does affect you, you might be like, well, it does affect me, but it, it only affects me negatively, not anybody else. Or you might say, and this is my favorite, it's just who I am. It's the way God made me. Then perhaps we receive words of wisdom contrary to our lifestyle. This wisdom isn't usually met well. It's met with anger and combativeness and embarrassment because our pride is hurt. But the wisdom takes root, and if it does, we can thank God and we can thank the other person for caring enough to bring it to our attention. And last, I want to talk about another reason to give thanks in this situation, and that situation is just having joy and happiness. In the last verse, at verse 22, it said, Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. I've been really looking, or I've been a four-and-a-half-year-old boy, and so I'm re-watching some of my favorites, and the last month or two, we watched Cinderella. And I know a lot of you have seen Cinderella, and I love Cinderella. And there's this part in the movie where Cinderella hits rock bottom. I mean, she just can't take it anymore. And she runs out into the garden, and she's crying. And who shows up but her fairy godmother, right? And her fairy godmother consoles her, and she gives her a beautiful dress and the glass slippers and the carriage made from a pumpkin, and it turns the mice into four white horses, and she tells Cinderella, you're going to get to go to the ball to meet the prince and dance in the castle. And Cinderella is really, really happy. Okay? Now what happens next? Do you remember? The fairy godmother gives a warning, right? And the warning is, at the stroke of midnight, the spell will be broken. Isn't that terrible? It's terrible. What if my son wanted some toy, like really great toy all year, and I, I'm going to give it to him tomorrow for Christmas, and I'll give him all the pieces that go with it, and I'm going to say, Here, here's the thing you always wanted, let's play. Let's play all morning. Man, he'd be so happy. What if I said, but at lunch, we're going to throw it in the trash can. He'd be like, no. That would be terrible. That would ruin the moment. Now, my son would probably be like, we're not going to throw it in the trash can because he knows that I joke with him about that kind of stuff. So, um, but do you, do you, as an adult, this part hit me because I don't know if you realize Cinderella's um, answer to what the fairy godmother says to her, but it, it was amazing. The fairy, fairy godmother says, at stroke of midnight, the spell is broken. And she's like, has her dress and she's still looking at it. And she goes, till midnight? Oh, thank you. She is not at all worried about midnight being the end of it. She's so joyful and happy in that moment. What? I get to keep all these things until midnight? Thank you. That would ruin most people's night, right? Having that hang over your head all day. When we feel joy and thankfulness, our thank yous can seem automatic. That's, that's not a bad thing. Okay? Just because they're automatic doesn't mean they're not genuine. These are emotions the Lord has created in us so that we could enjoy our lives. And unlike Cinderella, our experience doesn't end at midnight. Why? Because of what it says in verse 1. Give thanks for the Lord, for his love endures forever. So we may find ourselves, for this, giving thanks to the Lord throughout all eternity. Let's pray this, let's pray this evening. Lord, we've come before you today to remember what you did and how you did it and why we should be thankful. 
We were alone. We were stuck in the dark. We were wandering in the desert. And we were spiraling in our own foolishness. God, you've sent and ordained people, countless people, throughout the history of the world, telling them to go and to do your will. That night in Bethlehem, you sent your ordained, your son, to a life of love and of example and of ministry, and to a death and resurrection of salvation, to which what could we possibly offer but our very lives and a humble thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And now let's stand. Take our candles. And remember the time in which we were stumbling through the dark, the utter darkness, and someone came and told us about the light of Jesus. And as this light spreads through the room, let's remember our duty and our great joy of spreading the light of Jesus in our world.